gonna shout. Hallelujah. Amen. Praise God. Give the worship staff a hand. Two services. Wonderful job as always. Knocked it out of the park. Thank you. Hallelujah. Get your Bibles. For those of you who are unaware, I'm Brent Jones. I'm the lead pastor here. And if you're a guest, we welcome you again. And on the back of your seat is a QR code. If you just take a picture of it, it'll take you to our guest card. If you're not familiar with QR codes, surely you are. During the pandemic, that's the only way you could see a menu. So same technology here. You can fill it out at your leisure. And if you're joining us online, we welcome you to our second service on Easter. Amen. Hadn't this been a wonderful day? Hallelujah. I'm going to be reading from Ephesians 1, and we're going to start in verse 15. Ephesians 1, verse 15. Amen. When you get there, say, I got it. If you don't know where Ephesians is, ask somebody next to you. Amen. It's right after Galatians. All right. Verse 15. For this reason, I too, having heard of the faith... In the Lord Jesus, which exists among you, and your love for all the saints, I do not cease giving thanks for you while making mention of you in my prayers. That the God of our Lord Jesus, ooh, hallelujah, the Father of glory may give to you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what is the hope of his calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of his power toward us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjective under his feet and gave him as the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. God being my helper today, I want to preach from this subject. Hope is alive. Because he lives, we have a hope that transcends this life. There is nothing that can steal that hope from you. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for the word. We thank you for those who are here. We ask for you to bless everything that happens in the remainder of this service. For those who are distant from you, I pray that they be drawn nigh by the Spirit of God. For those who feel hopeless today, I pray that it be restored, oh God. And for those who are the saints, I pray that they be encouraged by the hope that they have in Christ Jesus. We ask it all in your name. And everyone said amen. God bless you as you're seated. Hallelujah. Well, I'll just tell you, you're getting like 140% of PBJ, all right? Because the first service got about 70%. Because I always give 110, that means I got 140 left. Well, that'd be 210, wouldn't it? Never mind. Bad math. You don't want 210. 
<laughs> Years ago, I got, I had a, a very low thyroid problem, and uh, they finally diagnosed it after my sister-in-law passed away and gave me some medicine. I think I preached for about an hour and a half one day, and, and there was no end in sight. And uh, I felt good compared to the way I'd felt unmedicated all those years. So you're not going to get that guy today, promise you. But when we use the word hope, our modern word hope is, is unfortunately been stripped of its real meaning. It means uncertainty. We'll say things like, do you know that's true? And you'll say, well, I hope so, which means I wish, right? It has an air of uncertainty, you know, if you're dating someone and things go well and say, did they call back? You say, well, I hope so. But I just want you to know the biblical word for hope means a life-shaping certainty. It's not uncertainty. It is a life-shaping certainty of something that hasn't happened yet, but you know will. You know deep down in your heart that it will come to pass. And we underestimate in this culture how much our believed future affects our current behavior. We are ultimately shaped by what we believe the future holds, Okay. I'll give you an easy example. Years ago, I worked at a job. Um, a major insurance company was uh, taking all of their paper files and putting it into scanned documents, online files. And no, I was not the scanner. It was not my job. My job was to take the file, open it up. If there were any crease pages, to get the creases out, take the staples out. If there were any tears, I had to tape the tears because they couldn't feed into. You want to talk about the most boring, tedious job that you could ever have. I had it. And uh, I thought about that job this morning because think about that job. Think of a terrible, tedious, boring, mindless, meaningless job with poor lighting, poor benefits, poor leadership. And just imagine that one person is working doing this, and they're telling them, look, if you'll do this for a year, at the end of the year, we'll pay you 15000 And they tell another guy doing the same job, same circumstances, same place, same leadership, hey, at the end of the year, we're going to pay you $15 million. Their believed-in future has a big effect on how they come to work, right? Because I imagine the guy making $15 million at the end of the year, he skips in. He gets this coffee, and he's dancing, and he's like, can't wait to get to work. Another guy, what is wrong with you? Because they have two believed-in futures that are different, right? One's getting $15,000, one's getting life-changing money, Right? And because he has something out in front of him that's sure he has a contract, it doesn't matter what the day brings. It doesn't matter how tedious the work is. It doesn't matter how boring or how bad the leadership is. If I can make it a year, I get $15 million. And that shapes us. It's not the circumstances that determine your emotions. What determines your emotions is your believed-in future. It's the hope of your heart. The reason that I have joy and faith even in the midst of difficulty is because I know where my future is. I know that I'm going to be with Jesus forever. I know that he's going to reward my faithfulness. 
I know that I'm going to experience bliss and delight and glory that I can't even imagine. The Bible says that eye has not seen and ear has not heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for them. Then he goes on to say, but God has revealed it to us by the Spirit. He's given us the down payment in the Holy Spirit. Do you realize what the down payment is? He said, that's just the initial investment. You think the Holy Ghost is good? Wait till you get there. You think being born again, that's massive. That's great. We pray for that. But it's just the down payment. It's just, it's just to tell you I'm serious about taking you all the way. Victor Frankl wrote an incredible book called Man's Search for Meaning, and he uh, survived a concentration camp, and he had some insights about hope that I thought were profound. He said this, life in a concentration camp exposes your soul's foundation. Life only has meaning in any circumstances if you have a hope that suffering and death can't destroy. Is that powerful or what? Life only has meaning if you have a hope that suffering and difficulty and trial and trouble can't destroy. If you've got hope in Jesus, if you've got hope in eternal life, then suffering can't destroy that. Because, hey, suffering cannot take one minute off eternity. Suffering cannot take one second off your eternal experience with God. It can't take one it can't add one sin back on your record that God died for. Can't do it. He goes on to say this. He describes how holding on to hope was literally a life or death choice. He said those who lost hope, he said, developed a certain look in their eye, a fatalism that inevitably ended in death. Those that didn't have hope died in the camp. They experienced what he called an existential vacuum. His term for a complete loss of meaning, a loss of hope, a sense that nothing really mattered anymore. I'm going to tell you, if you get to that place in this life, it will be no wonder that you are despondent, that you are discouraged. But if you have a hope in Jesus, amen, that he got up out of the grave, that he won the battle over death, hell, and sin, that you're going to win it too, amen. If you want to see your future, look at the risen Jesus. Look at the resurrected Lord. You know, I'm always, I'm always skeptical of these people who saw Jesus. You ever read these little books? I saw Jesus, and it was delightful, and it was wonderful. And one little kid said he saw Jesus, and they he drew a picture of him. Jesus, it was so funny in the picture. You know what I thought was so funny? Because uh, uh, what was that hairstyle in the 80s? Was it, was it layers and feathers? Yeah, Jesus had feathered hair. I was like, hmm. Yeah, Jesus had an 80s hairstyle. Mm -hmm. You know why I don't believe that stuff? Because I read in the book of Revelation, there was a man named John who was leaned on his, who knew him intimately. He knew him. And he saw him. Yeah, a little different story. He knew him. Saw him in his earthly ministry. He said, being turned, I saw one. Among the candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed down to the foot with a golden girdle, girdle about the paps. Huh. His hair was white like wool. His eyes were a flame of fire. 
and his voice was like the sound of many waters. And when I saw him, I fell on my face as dead. I don't believe these people saw the same Jesus. This is the resurrected Lord in all of his glory and all of his power. He's no longer the suffering servant. He's no longer the one that walked the earth and let people talk about him and let people uh, kill him and destroy him. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And John said, I fell on my face as dead. Said he laid his right hand on me and said, fear not. Yeah. See, you've got to put your hope in something eternal if you're going to make it through life. Life has its troubles. Life has its disappointments. It has its heartbreaks. It has its family issues and all of that. And I wish it wasn't that way. But the reason, you've got to understand that the difficulties and the struggle and the contrast of this life should make our hope firmer for that life. Because there's not going to be any family problems. In that place. There's not going to be any sickness. Not going to be any cancer. There's not going to be. There's not going to be any memory issues as we age. See if you put your hope in something in this life. When this life is over your hope is over. So if your hope is in success at the end of your life. You'll leave that success to someone else. If your hope is in being a good employee. You'll be a great employee and they'll retire you one day. Or they'll downsize you. Everybody's replaceable in this life. But only in the economy of God are you irreplaceable. Only in the economy of God, there's not a plan B. And our culture is full of people who will tell you that there's nothing out there. And when you die, you just cease to exist. And we're no different from the animals. Well, I'm here to tell you, if you believe that your future is nothingness, no wonder you're sad. No wonder you're discouraged. Amen. Only people with status and wealth would believe that junk. Richard Dawkins says that we're no different from the HIV virus. <laughs> yeah. He said, we just like it, you know. We're just some cell. and We cease to exist. I was like, you know what? He, he once said this, and I thought it was interesting. He said, you know what we should do to religious people? We should, we should ridicule them. And I was like, yeah, that's great. Why don't you go to Saudi Arabia and try that? See if you have a conviction or you just think that because you live here in America. See, I have a conviction. I'm willing to go to jail for what I believe. I'm willing for my life to be taken for what I believe. But you just got some thought in your mind because you think you're smart. But you ain't going to go to Saudi Arabia and tell Wahhabi people that there is no God. And they're idiots. See, Paul wants you to know, to know your inheritance. It is the substance of your wealth. Paul is talking about not just our inheritance, but God's inheritance. Think of this. God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. The gold is his. The silver is his. He owns time and space and every star and every planet and every precious alloy. God is the wealthiest being ever, yet God has something valuable to him that he considered his inheritance. And here's what he prays. Paul prays for us to understand what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. You're his inheritance. 
God owns everything, but what he's looking forward to is something that is out in the future that he keeps hoping for, and that is to be reunited with the church and the people of God. You are what he values above everything else. You are what he gave his life to redeem by his precious blood, not with silver and gold, but by his precious blood. He gave himself to redeem you, the church. Think about that. He says, I want you to understand. I want wisdom and revelation to be given to you that you understand that you are God's inheritance. Paul prays that you would be smitten by how rich God feels when he looks at you. How God feels when he looks at you. I don't care how other people look at you. You may be unpopular in your school. God said, that's my inheritance. Amen. You may be the lowest man on the totem pole at your job, but God says, that's my inheritance. That's why valuable. That's what I'm looking forward to right there. That's my inheritance. See, until you are astounded by how rich God feels when he looks at you, you will not live the life you were saved to live. You won't do it. You, Paul prays because they're not experiencing it. That's why he prays for a revelation and wisdom. Because they haven't gotten it yet. It hasn't dawned on them. It hasn't overwhelmed them yet. That God sees them as his inheritance. That God says what is most valuable to me in this life is you. The saved and the redeemed and the born again are mine. My children. Here's what will happen if you don't get a hold of this. You'll live beneath your privilege. You will not live as sons and daughters of a royal king. Mm -mm. You'll be satisfied with trinkets and distractions of this life. You'll think life ends at the end of your Instagram account. Yes. And if nobody likes your stuff, oh, I was so cute in that picture and nobody loved on it. And no guys dropped into my DMs. Y'all don't want me to preach. I know. I know. More than you think, your heart is still here. And some man or some girl is going to come along and save you. And give you a reason for living. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus can save you and redeem you and make you valuable. There's not a person on this earth that can make you feel the way he does. Hey, I don't care how much you love him. I love my wife dearly. She's awesome and incredible. Not here to hear that, but hey, it's still true. But she didn't save me. She didn't die for me. She didn't shed any blood for me. So you better get it right. Get it right. And here, let me tell you something else. Those of you who are going, when I get married, it'll all fall into place. <laughs> yes, yes. Let me tell you, if you go into marriage and you put those divine expectations on your spouse, you will crush them. They cannot be God for you. If you expect them to save you and make your life valuable, you're going to crush them. They can't do it. You're looking for something in somebody who's finite that you can only get in the infinite. He'll never die. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He's never sick. He's never in a bad mood. They will be. 
Did you get the bad mood part? I hope you heard that. You're going to live beneath your privilege. You are ambassadors of Christ. You are king's children. You are royal priesthood, chosen nation. Stand up like you are his inheritance. Don't walk around with your face like this. Come on, that's not contagious Christianity. That turns people off. Say, man, I've got joy unspeakable and full of glory. I got a hope that transcends this life. I'm getting out of here one day. I don't know where you're going, but I know where I'm headed. I've got a hope that's certain. We all need human affirmation, right? Somebody to pat us on the back and say, good job. And we can affirm ourselves. That's helpful. Man, that's pretty good. You did great. That's, that's helpful. But there's something... Uh, even more powerful, and that's when you receive affirmation from someone else, right? When someone else comes along and says, man, hey, great job. You did good. You look nice today, whatever. But then there's still something even greater than that. You know what that is? That's to overhear someone bragging on you that is not aware you're near. Isn't that cool? They don't know you're nearby. It's like, man, that, that person's awesome. They did this. They did that. And you're like, say on. <laughs> But let me just say, as, as good as that is, and that's pretty awesome, none of that even comes close to the delight in Jesus' eyes when you meet him face to face and he embraces you as a son or daughter when you finally made it home. <laughs> Nothing in this life, no experience. No wealth, no success, nothing will compare to when God embraces his inheritance finally in the end hour and says, welcome home. You made it. And a party starts called the wedding feast of the lamb. <laughs> see, you know what's going to happen at that moment when you see Jesus face to face? When you realize in a glorified body that you see him face to face, you're going to realize that your longing to be reunited with God was nothing compared to his longing to place his nail-scarred hands on your shoulders with a beaming smile and say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your father. He's been waiting for that for eons. Since the beginning of time, he's been waiting on that moment when he can finally place his nail-scarred hands on you and say, welcome home. It's over. Everything's behind you. The trial and the trouble and the difficulty and the sickness, it's all gone. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Let me just say this. Unless the Spirit of God reveals your value to God, you will not live with joy and greatness and peace and persistence in the face of trial. Trial will get you down. We must evaluate our present circumstances in light of the promised future. That's why Paul could say in 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17, Therefore, do not lose heart, but though your outer man is decaying, your inner man is being renewed day by day. Watch this. For this momentary light affliction is producing for us a far eternal weight of glory, far beyond all comparison. What's Paul doing? Paul is not denying suffering. He's not an optimist. 
He suffered a lot in his ministry. He's not making light of cancer. He's not making light of diabetes. He's not making light of rheumatoid arthritis. He's comparing those temporary ailments to an eternal future without them. With a whole body, with a whole mind, with all your faculties. Think about that. Paul, this is not somebody who had it easy. Paul can call stoning, beaten with rods, whipped, imprisonment, light affliction because he's comparing it to his eternal glory. That's how powerful hope is. When you've got a hope, you can stand in the midst of adversity and go, this is light because I've got an eternal future. The weight of that is more powerful than what I'm facing today. You've got to get a hold of this. That's why he says this, these are in accordance with the working of the strength of his might, which he brought about in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God in heavenly places. You want to see your future? If you're a believer, look at Jesus. That's your future, right? The world threw its worst at him. They tortured him, giving him the disgrace of carrying his own cross. They mocked him cruelly as he suffered and struggled for breath. What did he do? Did he despair? Did he weep? No. First Peter says, and while being reviled, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats. But he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. He said, I trust the Father. I know he's got me in his hands. I know that this is going to produce glory and power. And it's going to produce a church. And I got my eyes on the church. Hallelujah. Not on the present pain. I got my eyes on the pro- what it will produce. Not the pain. And three days later, after they'd thrown their worst at him, he rose from the dead. Hallelujah. The Bible tells us he went into the depths and the prisons and captivity and led captivity captive. He went down there and he found that old, that old fox, Satan. He said, hey, he said, give me them keys to death, hell, and the grave. He said, give them to me. He said, you killed me. He said, it was okay for you to kill people who had sinned, but I never sinned and you killed me, so you give up the keys. Do you understand that? I mean, why do you want to serve Satan? He ain't even got the keys to his own house. Why do you want to serve Satan? He was in heaven, saw the glory of creation and the glory of God and didn't have the sense to stay there. The reason that the angels can't be redeemed is because they can't be people of faith. Because they've already seen the glory and the power of God and turned away from it with sight. That's why when they left their first estate, he made no opportunity for them to repent. Because you've seen it. There's nothing else. If that won't convince you, nothing will. Let me just say this. There is going to be a bodily resurrection. You and I, people of faith, are going to experience a bodily resurrection. The knowledge of a bodily resurrection is a supernatural encouragement in suffering. Suffering is when things you love are taken from you or it keeps you from having the life you imagine. That's suffering. But God doesn't just console you at his coming, but he gives you the life you only dreamed of. A bodily resurrection is a glorified body, is a restoration of life the way it was in the garden 
before sin. Unhindered fellowship with God and others. No sickness. No pain. No death. No aging. No creaky joints. No gout. No diabetes. No rheumatoid arthritis. No back trouble. Some of you should be saying amen right now. Or oh me. No walkers for Sister Stanette. You know what keeps her going? Is she's got a hope that transcends this world. Has she had a rough time? Has her husband had a rough time? You bet. But they've got a hope that transcends this life. That God is going to reward them for their faithfulness. God is going to reward them. Let me just say this because I don't know where people get this stuff. You are not going to float away on a cloud playing a harp. That is not your future. Now, you will be a disembodied spirit until the resurrection of the dead, okay? Then you will be reunited with a glorified body, okay? You are not going to float away on a cloud and play a harp. Sing Kumbaya. We are going to rule and reign with Christ, right? And and let me just say this to all you saints, because I hear this all the time. Well, I don't care how I make it. If I can just crawl in and get over the finish line. Not me. Not me. Because you're trying to be the trash collector in the New Jerusalem. I'm trying to be the mayor. Oh, yes. There's going to be rewards according to works in the New Jerusalem. Now, I I don't have time to prove that, but there will be. You're not saved according to works, but they're a reward according to works. So not me. I'm not coming in like this going, oh, I barely made it. No, I'm coming in like this. I'm coming in victorious. I'm coming in on fire. I'm going to slide into heaven and say, whoa, what a ride. Hallelujah. Do you realize what a bodily resurrection means? That means you're going to experience every joy, every delight, every positive emotion in your body eternally. In this body. Yes, if you're older, you'll be younger, okay? (laughs) Hallelujah. Got one amen. One honest person. Everybody else said, that ain't me. Yes. Yes. You will be reunited with family. You haven't seen in years. They will be whole and healthy and glowing. Even though the last time you saw them, they were feeble and struggling for life and having difficulty breathing. Let me say this. The worst suffering you experience will be undone in that place. It will be undone. You won't be consoled. You will be restored. Hallelujah. And let me go on to say this. The greater your suffering in this life, the greater your joy in the resurrection when death is swallowed up in victory. I know you've had it tough. I don't make light of that. But I'm going to tell you, when you get there, it's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth every long mile, every heartache, and every trial. It's going to be worth it all. Stand with me. I've got a life-shaping hope. My hope in the future shapes my life now. 
Why do I live disciplined? Why do I live according to the word of God? Because I know this is a dress rehearsal for eternity. If you think this is all there is, no wonder you don't worry about how you live now. Get all you can get and have all the fun you can. Because it's over when you die if you have that philosophy. I'm going to tell you, you're wrong. It's not over when you die. We're all going to stand before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. To receive what we've done in the body, either good or evil. We all. See, if you have that, in, if you have that out there, then when I'm tempted, I can say, Mm-mm, I'm not going to sacrifice the eternal for the immediate. Mm-mm. Yeah, that looks good. Yes, I'm attracted to that. Yes. Right? We can be honest. Is there any honest people here? I'm influenced by that. That looks good. But I got a hope. I am not going to give up my relationship with God, my future home, my resurrected body for something temporary. For Paul, hope flows from the understanding that the resurrection of Christ has ushered in a new age. In the fullness of time, the climax and the culmination will be worth every heartache, every trial. Christ's resurrection has brought redemption forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life. Do you realize that if you've been born again of the water and the spirit, you have eternal life in you now? Oh yes. Not in its fullness, but just the down payment of what it's going to look like. Wasn't that glorious when God came in and filled us with the Holy Ghost? We begin to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance. Oh, hallelujah. That's just a sneak peek. The down payment is there to show he's serious about everything that he's promised. You ever buy a piece of property and you have to put down earnest money? Right? Earnest money is usually a pretty good piece of money. It's about 1% of the price. So, you know, a new home around here costs you, what, half a million dollars now? Yeah? You got to put up $5,000. That means if you back out. You lose your earnest money. You know what God was saying? I was so serious. I'm going to put my spirit in you as a deposit that I'm serious about bringing every promise that I've given you to fulfillment in its time. That's why the writer of Hebrews says, in the same way, God desiring even more to show the heirs of the promise, the unchangeableness of his purpose interposed with an oath. So that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have taken refuge would have strong encouragement to take hold of the hope set before us. Take hold of the set. Do you know what the Bible says? That God, when he could swear by none greater, he swore by himself. He swore an oath. That wasn't because he's unfaithful or undependable. It's because we have trouble believing. You ever tell a story to someone and and they get that look in their eye like they don't believe you? Right? And you're like, I swear. Because the swearing is because you're looking in their eye and they don't believe you. Because it sounds too good to be true. It's not too good to be true. God swore for you to believe. And he said there's an anchor of the soul. I want you to imagine right now there is a rope that is hanging out of heaven. And we're called to seize and hold fast in the midst of our earthly trials and struggles. What I want you to do today is I want you to tie a knot in that rope. And say, I'm struggling right now, Pastor. But I've got a hope that's beyond this current struggle. I'm, I'm discouraged right now, Pastor. But I've got a hope 
that one day God is going to restore everything I've lost in this life. Everything I've given up for the kingdom is going to be restored to me. That's why I don't worry about worldly people. Worldly people say, well, you don't know what you're missing out. I tried all that stuff. It doesn't bring the joy that y'all say it does. It doesn't bring the fulfillment you say it does. It don't do it. Hallelujah. I'm not missing out. I'm going to experience every joy in this body right here, eternally. Right here, with its scars, with its difficulties. I'm going to experience it in a glorified body. Hey, thanks for listening to Northgate Pentecostal. Check us out on Facebook and YouTube, and you can watch the video of the message you just listened to. God bless y'all.